It looks almost post-apocalyptic in Wuhan. The streets are deserted, shops are shut. It is cut off from the rest of the world. In the epicenter of a now global outbreak, the death toll has been rising every day. The U.S. Embassy in China is evacuating American citizens from Wuhan, the center of the coronavirus outbreak. More than 1,500 cases are now reported in China, where at least 54 people have died. And a third case now of the coronavirus has been confirmed here in the United States. Health officials in Orange County, California, say a person there tested positive for coronavirus on Saturday after traveling from Wuhan, China, the epicenter of the outbreak. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Viral Load. I'm Andy Pupa. I'm Brett Bales. And if you're tuning in for the first time, this is an epidemiology podcast. That's right. Each episode, we take a look at the dark, weird, and sometimes fun world of diseases on a changing planet. And if you're a new listener, this is a full-length episode. What does that mean? It means we choose a disease, and we dive into the weird science and origins of that disease. Uh, in an our off weeks, we end up doing viral particles or minisodes, letting you know what's going on that week, weird things that have come up, maybe in the news uh, to address some things. And yeah, so Brett, how you doing? I'm good. Uh, I've been following the news closely, uh, which is a little pre-teaser for our main episode today. Um, but how have you been? You've been doing, uh, in your other life, when you're not viral loading, um, you're doing stand-up. Yeah, yeah. It's been a pretty crazy week. I think I'm averaging like two hours of sleep a night. Mm. Um, so that's always fun. Mm-hmm. And yeah, no, we were just talking about, you are asking me like how the shows have been going. And I had a really good show. And then very much, very typical with stand-up. I went to go do another spot, and I was like, okay, cool, I'll go up. And it was a really rough, like, bar show. Mm-hmm. And I guess there was this couple on the back side of the bar who had been heckling all night. Mm. But the woman was pretty quiet when I went up at first. And then I, like, asked a question. I do this bit about, like, death and stuff. And uh, yeah. <laughs> I set myself up for it. I was like, oh, hey, uh, has anybody here almost died recently? And the woman was just like, I'm dying right now. Oh, uh, that's kind of good, though. You got to give her credit for that. Yeah, no, she was <laughs> on point. up. She kind of lobbed her a softball. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> she teed it up. Uh, and so, yeah, it was, a, it was a fun moment. Yeah. Comedy is like the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, yeah. typically very close to each other. Yeah. It keeps you humble. So, that's why you know. that's why so much so many comics are like uh kind of uh tend to be kind of I don't know suffering from mental health issues and it just seems like comics tend to be kind of darker that's what I've heard like celebrities like the comics tend to be kind of darker and a little more brooding in real life and like the big action stars and like uh like Schwarzeneggers of the world are all jovial and friendly in real life. Um, yeah, no, <laughs> that tracks. You are, yeah, you guys are like teetering on a knife's edge of like despair and, and happiness. Yeah, that's, that's it. Literally, some nights you'll get up there and be like, "This is what I meant to do. Yeah. This is all I want to do every day." Yeah. And then other nights you'll get off and you'll drive home in complete silence. Yeah. And just be like, "I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Why does anybody do this? This is not fun." 
Um, and then you wake up the next day and do it all over again. So yeah, so it's, it is kind of a sickness. Yeah. Um, speaking but, of sickness, yeah, uh, you, you what have you been up to? to? <laughs> you beat me to it. Uh, speaking <laughs> of sickness, um, I have been eyeball deep in the news that everyone has been uh, talking about. And if you've been living under a rock on Mars, uh, you know about the Wuhan coronavirus coming at Wuhan? you from China. Um, yep. So that's going to be uh, our topic of the day. We were uh, slated to uh, do a full-length episode on another disease, which I don't want to uh, spoil just yet, but we will be doing mm-hmm. it in the future. We bumped that for some late-breaking news uh, to talk to you about the 2019 novel coronavirus out of Wuhan, China. Uh, so we're just going to call that the Wuhan coronavirus. Yeah, the Wuhan clan. Yeah, exactly. So uh, usually we cover outbreaks of the week, like you said, uh, you know, in our viral particle episodes where we do like, uh, you know, kind of fun current event news stories. Uh, But we thought that given the magnitude of this disease, we'd devote an entire viral load episode to it. I mean, that's how serious this thing has become. It has reached the point where it is now being covered in a viral load full episode. I mean, yep. Talk right to about, the big leagues. Yeah, talk about reaching the big leagues. Um, so we wanted to provide a kind of comprehensive look at the disease, how it's spreading, how it's being digested by the public, and uh, get into a little bit of the science and maybe even talk about where this thing uh, like came from. So uh, you can judge for yourself whether you want to uh, retreat into your doomsday shelter with your spam and Twinkies and, and whiskey uh, or not. Uh, or maybe you just want to do that anyway, even if you're not uh, afraid of the end of the world. Um, <laughs> exactly. I was just going to say, that sounds like a good Friday night. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the fun thing about studying a disease outbreak like this is it's like a puzzle that's kind of constantly evolving. So I say fun, you may say like uh, insanely frustrating or scary, but as a disease geek, uh, it's stuff like this that we really like... Um, kind of live for in a strange way because it's like this big like whodunit it's like a murder mystery uh, like unfolding before our eyes and the suspects and the circumstances are kind of constantly changing and evolving and when the clock starts ticking once the first person or group of people get sick we need to figure out what's going on and all the while people are getting sick and dying and it's spreading and there's mass hysteria and that's kind of where we find ourselves right now So uh, we want to start off by just kind of giving an update on where things stand with the disease. But of course, since this is a uh, disease outbreak or uh, pandemic that's unfolding in real time, uh, probably the statistics we're about to give will be um, outdated by the time this this thing drops. Uh, But as of this recording, the first case of the new coronavirus has reached the United States, uh, not locally transmitted, but brought in from a visitor uh, from the Wuhan region of China. Uh, but the virus has been technically has reached the good old U.S. of A. Now it's real. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now we care. Even... So, yep. <laughs> yep. So we have this mystery pathogen, the mysterious Wuhan virus, although it's 
not super mysterious, but it is new. As of this recording, uh, we have about 1,300 cases of the virus and give or take 42 deaths. That was pretty quick. Yeah. And depending on what kind of what news article you read, these numbers will vary. One, one frustration, um, there are many, but one frustration I have with kind of popular news like media, like CNNs of the world and stuff like that, are this kind of like insatiable need to like update us on like body counts and stuff and like deaths. And like every time there's a natural disaster or terrorist event or something, like they flash a death count of like 120 people die in bombing or and then it like 30 minutes later. 62 people die in bombing and like the, the number fluctuates up and down. So people are like coming back to life and dying. And uh, so it's this kind of rush to like report how deadly this thing is. Yeah. And I, like I talk about this a lot, actually, in stand up, mm-hmm. how desensitized we are because yeah. these stats and figures are constantly rolling out and constantly changing. Yeah. So like as the normal death toll goes yeah. up, like you see 42 yeah. and you're like, oh, that's not that many. Yeah. It's a lot of people. Yeah, because I mean, it's more—it's more attention grabbing than like 1,300 people have a bad fever. <laughs> yeah, you know. So it's—it's it's the death count that's—that's that's what drives uh, clicks and watches and stuff like that. But it is the best indicator of how severe a disease outbreak is. So we do need to measure like how many people are actually dying. But regardless of 1,300, 42, like this is just the tip of the iceberg because. Uh, there are probably a lot of people who have been exposed or infected who maybe didn't even get sick, so uh, didn't develop symptoms. They could be asymptomatic carriers, meaning they like became infected but uh, don't actually show symptoms. So they're just walking around thinking they're fine and they're they're spreading the virus. They can be like super carriers. That's like a fun kind of scary uh, word. Where yeah, so what is that? Like yeah, I have so, no idea. <laughs> super carriers. Yeah, I mean yeah. these are. These are all just like scary public health words for, uh, you know, people who kind of can fly under the radar and not be detected by like things like fever and stuff like that. And they can still be spreading around. They can still be like contagious. Okay. What was that? Um, uh, what's that like famous one where the woman was like typhoid Mary? Yeah. Yeah. Typhoid Mary. Okay. Yeah. She's like the, she's like the proto, uh, like super carrier carrier. Yeah. Yeah, so, she's the Wonder Woman yeah, of super yeah. carriers. And then, like, you know, all the people that maybe got, like, a mild fever or, or like, maybe they just thought they had a cold and, you know, were never counted. So the numbers that we're seeing are, are usually with something like this, just the tip of the iceberg. On January 21st of 2020, the first U.S. case was reported. Uh, someone who was infected after traveling to uh, Wuhan, China. Yeah, I was... Uh... Looking up some of the stuff today to like learn a little bit more about the background and like what's going on. And one of the reporters was saying that people were getting it through their eyes. So people are walking around with like giant goggles on right now because oh. they don't know what to do. So there's a bunch of people like walking around China with like snowboarding goggles on. <laughs> yeah. Or, or that's just like that was going to be the trend anyway. Yeah. We'll see that in New York in like a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, that's going to be coming to a Williamsburg or what? What's the hipster place? I don't know. But <laughs> Brooklyn. Yeah, Brook. Yeah, Brooklyn. Um, 
So that's kind of scary. Like the virus is being, I guess, sponged up through your eyeballs. Yeah, mm. which means that it's airborne, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So that can't be good. No, that's not good. So the current global distribution, uh, most cases are in China and the Wuhan region specifically, but the virus has spread to Thailand, Japan, South Korea, the US of A, Singapore, Vietnam, and cases are being investigated across Asia, the UK, and Mexico. And it's been busy. Yeah. That, so it's it's racking up those frequent flyer points, and <laughs> it's going to continue to spread most likely. So that country list is probably going to be outdated by the time this thing drops. Given that we live on such a interconnected planet with uh, mass transit and global air travel, this is likely to grow and spread pretty quickly. And to get political with it just for a moment, viruses don't stop at border walls, people. I went there. You went there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's actually pretty comical that we're so obsessed about this like need of like isolationism from different cultures to like keep our like identity. And in the end, we're more likely to die from like a disease like this or global warming or probably both. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, th- this is like the public health threat. It- it's these these kinds of diseases are like an artifact of like a changing planet and, and climate change and things like that. And we'll get into that a little bit more in this episode. But yeah, it's a little uh, silly to think that you can just kind of build a big kind of, you know, concrete or I don't even know what the latest iteration of that thing looks yeah, like. Yeah, but... it's like rebar. There was actually a video the other yeah. day. I don't know if you saw it. But there was a guy who like threw a rope and it was a collapsible ladder Uh and he climbed it in like, I think it took him like 32 seconds. And then he like threw the ladder over the other side and then picked up the ladder, came back down and then unhooked it. And it was all like in under a minute. (laughs) I was like, oh man, this is super effective. Yeah. Yeah. Glad we spent all that money on that. Not, you know, like uh, our Health health infrastructure and things like that. So anyway, I digress. (laughs) So uh, kind of to kick us off here, uh, what do we know about this uh, mystery uh, disease, this new, the newest emerging infectious disease of the year of our Lord 2020? So uh, China has sequenced the virus. Scientists in China have basically like, you know, fingerprinted it. Like they have identified what the genetic makeup of it is. So that uh, they can basically identify suspected cases. So, like, if you get sick, they can look for the virus in your, like, they can, you know, take your blood and look for the virus and match it with the sequence that they identified and see if it's a match. And if it is, then you become a case. If not, then you just are sick from something else. Okay. Symptoms of this uh, coronavirus uh, usually are like fever, cough, and, and respiratory issues, so kind of like flu-like symptoms. And in bad cases, it can cause pneumonia and, and death. And like a lot of stuff that's usually in uh, like older people or people with, who already have like, you know, weakened immune systems. The period between when someone is exposed or infected with the virus and when they start getting sick with those symptoms is between two days and two weeks. So kind of a big window, but that is the incubation period where the little virus is growing and spreading within you and then you start getting sick. 
And to date, there is no vaccine and no, no treatment like that. So what you have to do is if you get sick, you just like treat it like you would the flu, like with uh, treating the symptoms. Okay. Yeah. So that's kind of what it is, which is, you know, basically it's a, ve- it's a respiratory virus that is started from China and is making its way on its global tour. So uh, what everyone is interested in, what CNN, what all these news organizations and what, you know, people are are clamoring about is this uh, case fatality rate, which is like, how deadly is this thing? How many people is it killing? And right now, as of this recording, the case fatality rate is hovering around 4%. So 4% of the people who get uh, infected uh, end up dying. And again, this could change as the outbreak evolves. Viruses are tricky because they're always, um, you know, evolving and mutating some more than others. And this thing could evolve and mutate to become more contagious and more deadly. But right now, that case fatality or mortality rate is like 4%. So still single digit. All right. So that's kind of like the Wuhan 101, uh, Wuhan Coronavirus <laughs> 101. And what's what's uh, come out of that is this kind of constant stream of scary imagery and information like, you know, death count and, and stuff like that. I'm seeing pictures of people in like hazmat suits, uh, people wearing face masks in crowds. There's an image going around the um, kind of internet news site uh, circuits showing a bunch of heavy equipment excavating an area outside the city in Wuhan where they're getting ready to build like a giant uh, temp- like a giant hospital, basically, to like start treating and housing all the sick people. Oh, okay, they're gonna make like a ground zero. Yeah, yeah. It, it's kind of it's a kind of a creepy image, and I yeah, I think it's kind of haunting. Yeah, I think we should th- uh, put that on the the Instagram. So yeah, we'll throw it on the Instagram, yeah. and we'll uh, link it in the show notes. Yeah, but it's stuff like this that kind of gets people all all frothed up and uh, into a tither, uh, and. You know, with good reason, like that's that's scary stuff. And it's kind of symptomatic of how people are responding. And, yeah. you know, if you're in, in Wuhan, you know, fair enough, you're like probably pretty freaked out and uncertain and scared because there's this invisible thing floating around and everyone's freaking out and wearing face masks and, um, you know, you can't see it and yeah you know and it seems like you would think like it's easy from like an outsider perspective to see people in like face masks and you know wearing like heavy jackets and all the stuff and like wearing gloves around all day Mm -hmm. and be like oh that's not effective but if you had no idea how to like stop it and like control it and try not to get it yeah you'd do anything yeah so you see like a bunch of people in masks yeah. And you're like, oh, I need to buy masks. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, if I'm there and I'm feeling helpless and I hear like there's a rumor that like duct tape being a rubber chicken to your ankle is like going to help you, then like I'm going to go do that. Yeah. So, you know, fair enough. So I got a quote that's kind of, I think, representative of how people are feeling in the area. A local resident said, uh, you can see now, does it look like the atmosphere of Chinese New Year? I don't know. When the pneumonia epidemic will stop, I might have to eat instant noodles during Chinese New Year. That's sad. It seems like it's putting a damper on Chinese New Year's celebration, which, fair enough, if this is an 
if this is an airborne disease uh, that spreads from person to person, um, you have mass gatherings and things like that, it's not good. Yeah, no. I mean, it's having a, like a grave impact. Mm-hmm. And we'll get to that later. Chinese New Year is actually pretty interesting mm-hmm. because there's some implications for other things uh, that have spread. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I don't, they I don't know anything it. about Chinese New Year. Like, that's, uh, I know of it. But I didn't realize that until I read that, that it's coinciding with this outbreak. Yeah. And there have been other outbreaks during this time of year. Mm -hmm. And because of Chinese New Year, there were some negative implications of like what happened, um, like Uh a domino effect Mm -hmm. because of Chinese New Year. And we'll get into that later, but it's pretty interesting. Yeah. So... um there's been a run on face masks and gloves because everyone's trying to, you know, protect themselves. Quarantines are being set up in the city. Uh, travel is being restricted. Uh, and in- infrared thermometers are being installed at airports, train stations, and uh, passenger piers to measure temperatures of passengers to try to, like, identify potentially sick people so that they can be isolated and to try to stop the spread of disease like that. Yeah. That's pretty wild. Like, that's something I saw right away, and it was a huge red flag because it makes sense. Like, it's a really easy way mm-hmm. to catch people who are already, like, uh, the term would it be, like, virulent, like, that they're, like, actively have the disease. Oh, uh, well, yeah, like, they're in- infected and symptomatic. Yeah, yeah they're yeah. symptomatic. So, but, like, an easy way to do that. Mm-hmm. But could you imagine in the United States if we took away that amount of privacy yeah and we're like hey we're gonna scan your entire body we're gonna take samples from you all the time to make sure that everybody else doesn't get sick yeah because we have like you know we have the kind of stubborn don't tread on me like you can't make me do that like you can't make me do my your my homework mom yeah we have that kind of like you know mentality which has produced good stuff like freedom of speech and and all that but, you know, setting up infrared thermometers and, and all that kind of stuff, like, I can see that being a big uh, problem in the U.S. Because, like, those full-body, like, I remember, like, those full-body, air, uh, like, airport scanners where they, like, uh, basically, like, x-ray you underneath your clothes or whatever to try to yeah. detect uh, bombs people or People refuse something. to do that. Yeah, and people are all, you know, freaking out about that because, you know, oh, I don't want you, like checking out my goodies in public and yeah and all that stuff. So, yeah, it's it's kind of like that, but like what when are people willing to like concede to that level of scrutiny? Um and maybe it takes a global pandemic to to do that. I don't know. Yeah, it just takes a communist regime to be able to <laughs> yeah. make it effective. Yeah, and I mean, if we lived in a society that was controlled by a dictatorship or like a communist kind of more authoritarian state, and they're like, you know what? It doesn't matter. You're, we're doing this. Like, yeah, this you have no happening. choice. Yeah, you're getting vaccinated. You're getting vaccinated. You're getting scanned. Shut up. We're microchipping you. We're yeah. watching you. Mm-hmm. We'll get into that later. There's some crazy stuff that just happens, and they just like are okay with it. It's it's insane. Like as you get more and more into it, like just the everyday way of life there is mm-hmm. so different mm-hmm. from here in the United States. Oh, that, yeah. like, we, 
bitch and complain about things <laughs> that yeah. are so minute and they give up like their freedoms. And I know it's not willingly because, you know, that's the system of government and everything, but they just accept it. Yeah. You know? Well, I, like I'm obsessed with watching North Korea documentaries because I think it's like that. It's like an, it's watching like another world. Mm-hmm. And they're just like brainwashed to like fall into step. Like to them, they're it's like this mass multi-generational cult where yeah, that's just like they don't know how else to think. And it's it's like it's very strange, but oddly kind of addicting and satisfying to watch. I don't know. Yeah. Like it's it's strange. Like, but- are you saying that we uh, just need a good dictator? I mean, I don't want to say that we don't not need a good dictator. I, I don't know. Like, I just saying like other countries are responding differently, and I just uh, it's an interesting thought experiment to see like what would happen in the U.S. if we were like less "don't tread on me." Um, yeah. No, I totally understand. Yeah. There's that weird like fine line. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah, don't take away any freedoms, but yeah. like maybe we should change some stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, like states are toying with mandatory vaccinations and all that kind of stuff. So like uh it's yeah, does it kind of fall into line with that? So, you know, other countries are responding differently. Uh, you know, obviously that has to do with the political climate of that country. So communist regimes and dictatorships and stuff are gonna respond differently than, you know, countries like the US. But Probably globally, a common thing will be restricted travel. There are already screenings being set up in like major hubs in the U.S., like San Francisco. Uh, the airport there has some screening set up uh, for flights coming in from China. And you know, basically, what we're going to see is like a worldwide restriction on on like travel and air travel, which is really interesting to me because uh, if you listen to our Ebola episode and you should for our two episodes we got into that where you went to africa mm-hmm. and i was like oh hey like do they stop you from coming back to the united states because you've been in like a hot zone yeah and you're like no <laughs> so <laughs> like it's weird how we react completely different mm-hmm. to different diseases because like ebola is very much like over their disease yeah like we don't see that as a problem but yeah. where we're already seeing this rapid movement yeah. With this disease, we're terrified and we're immediately making changes and doing all this yeah. stuff. So uh, I was I like talking really to someone today uh, at the coffee shop and was like, uh, I mentioned that, you know, as I do, that we're living right now in the second biggest Ebola outbreak in history. And they didn't, they had like no idea uh, because yeah. that's like an over there disease and that's killed thousands of people. And that's a super gnarly disease with a really high case fatality rate. And it's happening in a war zone. Go listen to our Ebola episode. Uh, but yeah, it's cause it's like over there and not over here. So, um, yeah, we, we're that's getting going to call those mm-hmm. from now on. I don't know if that's a scientific term, but over there diseases. Yeah. Well, if it, it is now. Yeah, there it is. Bam. <laughs> yep. Done. Mm-hmm. Trademark it. Somebody mm-hmm. make a shirt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Merch but, coming soon. But yeah, like the U S hasn't banned travel. They're warding against it and they don't really want people to go, but it hasn't gotten to the point where like, we're actually locking it down within yeah. the U.S. But over there, like in, in China, in Wuhan, they're basically locked down the entire province. And like neighboring provinces, they're monitoring them really closely. Right. So, I mean, different places are dealing differently. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of like the Zika 
thing around the uh, Olympics, you know, where they were like um, kind of volunteer voluntary travel restrictions. So a lot of people were choosing not to go. Um, so I imagine that's already happening. People are probably like canceling their flights if they already have a ticket booked to China and places like that. Yeah. And I think part of it too, when I was reading up on this and like learning a little bit about what's going on, uh, the word health or world health organization, who, um, mm-hmm. didn't name it a world health disaster yet. Right. So like, that's like the next step. Right. Yep. And then everybody's like, Oh shit, we have to do something. Yeah. So until so that, like, yeah, that, that might happen, uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah. You think so? Yeah. Uh, but I mean, that happened when it, it kind of happens when the disease spills over across this country borders and, and, you know, hits a certain point and it doesn't like mean that the world's coming to an end. I mean, that happened during the Ebola outbreak. Like it happens when you have these kind of big, big events, but yeah, it's just another response. And the, you know, financial markets have taken a hit from all of this. Airline stocks tumbled, at least initially, because of fears that the virus might impact global air travel. A quote from Alec Young, Managing Director of Global Markets Research at FTSE Russell. I have no idea what that is. Yeah, Um, me either. I don't know what a stock is. Yeah, me either. (laughs) Every time I think about stocks, uh, not to derail, but there's a John Mulaney joke Mm -hmm. where he talks about like, the Dow is down 500 points. And he's like, right. and I don't know how to convey uh, how much I don't know what that yeah. means yeah. at the age of like 32. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I don't know about that could fill several barns. <laughs> exactly. So according to this mover of money, uh, from an investment quote, from an investment standpoint, the risk with any virus is in the scope of its economic impact. And the mere fact that this has spread from China Overnight to the U.S. so quickly reinforces the idea that the negative fallout could be global rather than local. So the fact that this is coming out of China and this is not a new infectious disease coming out of like Denmark or, uh, you know, some other place like that, uh, I think is significant here. And anecdotally, um, my brother-in-law, what's up, Austin? sent me a text um, the other day basically saying, you know, the uh, traders uh, are freaking out at his work. He sells uh, bonds. I don't know what a bond is. Uh, James Bond. Yeah, he's, you know, stock market stuff. Uh, And he's like, yeah, everyone's, you know, all worried and anxious and tracking the news uh, just like they would track uh, stock stuff. Buy low, sell high. That's what I always say. (laughs) <laughs> exactly i feel like that's exactly what i'd do it'd be like a sketch with like the kids in a trench coat like yeah. sitting on top of each other and yeah. they're trying to like open a bank account mm-hmm. and they're just like yeah um i want a low interest uh low apr financing rate yeah <laughs> and i'd be like yeah, yeah i don't i don't know what it means. <laughs> give me <laughs> one of those good. subprimes yeah whatever. yeah give me one of that give me all the money <laughs> all the monies. Give me the monies. Yeah. But this is probably, I mean, you know, we'll talk about this more, but unless things really go off the rails, this is probably a minor initial blimp. Like, uh, apparently the stock markets are complex and, like, super hard to predict and all that stuff. But uh, my sense of it is that they get very, like, 
skittish and are sensitive to like fear and, and reaction to stuff like this. Uh, but historically, these kinds of events have had little long-term effect. Looking at some data from the Dow Jones market data set, the measles rubella outbreak in June 2019, if I'm reading this correctly, actually after six months resulted in a nearly 10% bump in the S&P index. Mm -hmm. Again, uh, of all those words, I understand the word measles in percent, but Essentially, all these kind of scary uh, new disease kind of events don't don't end up having like, you know, don't end up triggering a recession or uh, like, you know, big financial calamity. Yeah. Interesting enough, the only disease that's noted to really have a negative impact over a long period of time was actually uh, HIV and AIDS, yep. uh, June 1981. Mm-hmm. So I wonder why that had maybe because it was such a global like epidemic when it was happening mm-hmm. and uh i feel like do you think the negative connotation towards like the reason why people were getting hiv and aids might have like had that prolonged effect like across yeah. the board well yeah I, it's hard to say like and also i mean maybe that's just correlation and not it's just happens to be tied to that downturn i don't know mm-hmm. but it could also be i mean hiv for the early years just kept growing and growing and growing. And uh, it, it's also spread differently than a lot of these other diseases like like Zika and this uh, coronavirus and stuff. It's much more like insidious and kind of hard to stop. Uh, the incubation period is a lot longer. So like it was kind of like a, a different animal in a lot of ways, disease speaking. But why it would have such a negative impact on the stock market, I don't know. Ooh, I might have like a light bulb moment. Yeah. I uh, Looking at all of these, because yeah. uh, there's like uh, the pneumonic plague, SARS, avian flu, dengue fever, swine flu, cholera, all this. A lot of those are things that happen in a very remote rural area yeah. versus like HIV AIDS and like what's going on now. Yeah. And like SARS, that all happened in like metropolises, and like yeah, cities, like New York, so, San Francisco. Yeah. Um, so I wonder if that would yeah. have a greater negative impact. Yeah, that that's a good point. That might be it. Um, that it hits these big urban areas. Yeah. Hey Austin, uh, yeah. send us an email at yeah. viralloadpod at gmail dot com and break this down for us so yeah. we can sound like we know what we're talking about. Yeah. What What is money? Um, <laughs> if you could just, uh, yeah. tell us the exchange rate, yeah. uh, for intelligence versus money, yeah. that would help. Yeah. I don't know. And then of course, we're all eagerly awaiting the response from celebrities and Andy and I were talking just before this, like, you know, what's Trump been saying about this? What, what, uh, glorious, you know, pearls of pearls, wisdom. Pearls of wisdom. Will our thoughtful and dear leader? Um, speaking of dictatorship, anyway, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> I um, said it like <laughs> nine times earlier. Yeah, but I was like, ooh. Yeah, we're kind know. of, we're kind of, we're kind of on that on that path. We're not far from it. Yeah. So it, it doesn't sound like he's said much, unless I miss something. But again, you know, I tend to just kind of uh, bury my head in the sand with that guy. So I don't know. 
Uh, I'm sure whatever he said is thoughtful and engaging and, and based on a lot of personal reflection and research, but um, I, I haven't seen anything. But what, what else have you seen that people are saying? Yeah, so, so far, it's been relatively quiet. And I think part of that's due to the fact that there's been so much information that's been coming out that there's kind of some misinformation and people are trying to figure out, like, it's something that we actually have to worry about. Like, is this another bird flu? Mm-hmm. where we're supposed to worry about it and nobody ever meets anyone with bird flu? Yeah. Uh, or is it real? Um, the only thing I could find is Senator Rick Scott. I think he's from Florida. Yes, yeah, yeah. Florida. Two first uh, names. He tweeted this out Don't trust him. for whatever it counts towards. But he said, we have to get serious about the threat of the coronavirus coming from China. I don't trust communist China to coordinate in a transparent and efficient manner when it comes to combating the threat of the virus. So we have to do everything we can to protect Americans. Today I'm calling on the administration to declare a national public health emergency to stop the coronavirus from spreading within the United States. While all of the cases are still travel-related, we must take every precaution, just like we did in Florida, to curb the spread of the Ebola and Zika viruses. We must take action to make every resource available to contain the disease and keep Americans healthy. So, Brett, maybe you can shed some light. Like, what did we do with Ebola and Zika? What, I feel like we didn't do a ton. We just, like, yeah. freaked out for, like, a couple weeks, and yeah. then it was nothing. Yeah, like, um, you know, one, it's apples and oranges. Uh, two, that's... Uh, that's kind of jump. That's that's jumping to a you know kind of all hands on deck. You know, sound all the alarms when we're talking about a few imported cases uh, of this disease. And like with Ebola, uh, Ebola doesn't come from the United States. It's not something that's locally transmitted. Uh, it's something that's that's brought over, and it's pretty easy to like contain once it's you know spotted. With, with Zika, that's spread by these mosquito species. Um, that one's a little trickier because the mosquitoes that spread Zika do live in the United States uh, in places in Florida and, and kind of parts of the southern uh, United States. So that one is a little trickier. And like, you know, I think he is a little bit right about that. Like where we did go in with like um, all these insect insecticide sprays and things like that to try to like uh, tamp down the mosquito populations. Um, but in either case, it's, it's a little like apples and oranges, but you know, I guess I see what he's getting at, but okay. You know, to his point, like he brought in the like communist, you know, he, he said China, he said communist China, right? I don't trust communist China. Like I could have, he could have just said, I don't trust China, but he went and he, you know, qualified it with, communist china and i think that speaks to like this now growing almost kind of conspiracy theory type um movement or or whatever and it's like what we talked about that this disease is scary to people because it's new and because it is coming out of china Mm -hmm. where if it was new and coming out of somewhere else maybe we we don't have the same like mass mass panic and it's you know people like i don't know who rick scott is um but he's you know kind of fanning the flames in that way 
And the byproduct, like with with anything, I mean, is is this kind of subsect of of counter uh, factual like conspiracy theory type stuff. So I thought we'd uh, I'd regale you with with a couple of the ones that are kind of making their way around the dark web or the interweb or whatever. Yeah, let's go down the rabbit hole. Yeah, let's let's take the red pill and go down or bloop. I don't know. But uh, one is that there is already a coronavirus patent suggesting that this is all part of a plan by the pharmaceutical industry to sell vaccines. And this uh, theory is largely coming from the anti-vaccination crowd on social media. But it's also being picked up by uh, some like politicians a Republican running for U.S. Senate in Massachusetts. My God, I'm going to butcher that name. So it's a Republican running for U.S. Senate in Massachusetts. Shiva Ayadurai. That's yep. what I'm just going to go with. Mm-hmm. Shiva Ayadurai. Yep. Uh, said that, quote, the coronavirus patent is owned by the Purebright Institute. Mm. So uh, suggesting that this virus has been patented and is owned and that speaks to this kind of conspiracy that this is all just a ploy and a plot to to make money. Yeah, yet again, another like Monsanto, like they're out to get us. They're just trying to make money yeah. off of, you know, death and mm-hmm. all this stuff. So um, without, yeah. uh, we'll talk about this in our segment where we cover the coronavirus in more detail, but uh, just to kind of, fan the flames a little bit and if you shut the podcast off now first how dare you but also uh there is a coronavirus patent and i'll just kind of leave it at that but we'll circle back in a second so they're not wrong but we'll talk about that another uh theory is that the gates foundation uh the bill and melinda gates foundation is this kind of big global health uh ngo or uh sorry a nonprofit that um you know, Gates is pumping a lot of his fortune into to like fight global health, uh, you know, issues like uh, malaria and stuff like that. Uh, so they're claiming that they funded groups who owns the virus patent. Uh, and they're also looking at evidence where uh, the Gates Foundation sponsored researchers have predicted that the coronavirus could kill 65 million people in a year in a chilling warning given three months before the outbreak in China. Scientists at John Hopkins Center for Health Security made the eerie prediction, modeled off a hypothetical coronavirus outbreak on computer in, this is literally what this says, modeled hypothetical coronavirus outbreak on computer in research in October. Well written. That's great. Yeah. They're crushing it. They're not trying to just get clicks. The pretend disease took just 18 months to wipe out 65 million people around the world. Okay, so there they said it. It was a simulation. It was a model based on worst case scenario. And God, that that's that was actually how that was written. That's okay. <laughs> well, Brett, I mean, we've <laughs> talked about this before, but you said you've done things like this. Yeah. Like it makes sense to try to predict what's going to happen so yeah. you can prevent it from happening. Yeah. And you, you also try to establish like a range of potential outcomes, including worst possible uh, and all the way down to uh, least possible or, or, mo- or you know, most severe or least severe. And they're kind of glomming on to this, this model that predicted like this mass casualty event. But what they're not looking at is like, 
how did they calibrate or build the model? Like what variables are they looking at? Did they adjust for like a virus that mutated to become way more contagious than the one is right now or like way more uh, like a higher mortality rate? They don't know how these predictive models were, were built. You'd have to actually read the, like the journal article to, to figure that out. Uh, another conspiracy theory is that FEMA, the uh, always maligned and seemingly always hated uh, government organization in the conspiracy theory world, uh, has proposed or proposes uh, martial law. Uh, so my understanding of what martial law is basically like the uh, military takes over and the, the U.S. becomes like a police state, essentially, uh, temporarily, at least, where like, um, you know, they can impose curfews and like, Basically, the military runs the show, um, I guess. Uh, an article published on the website called The Twisted Truth. <laughs> that, Infowars.com. That just reminded me of the, um, the Elliot Roger manifesto, My Twisted World, the <laughs> Elliot Roger story. Anyway, The Twisted Truth, quote, Acting FEMA Director Pete Gaynor on Wednesday offered President Trump a startling solution martial law in the United States to prevent the spread of a lethal Chinese coronavirus. Okay, so people are now going um, full martial law with it. Like uh, the, the director of FEMA is urging the president to, you know, call in the military and shut down the borders, run the show, don't let anybody leave where they're at. And again, like we're talking like people who have been infected with the virus in the United States, you know, I can count on one hand. Uh, again, yeah. once once this comes out and in the coming weeks, you know, that number, we'll see what, what happens. But, like, um, it seems like an extreme response. Um, so how true that is, I don't know. And the last conspiracy theorist, I'm sure there's many more, but that this was a creation from a lab experiment or it's, you know, uh, being used as a bioweapon for population control. And this one's pretty like tired. Uh, it's a pretty tired conspiracy theory. It seems to like, go all with like every disease mm -hmm. outbreak, like all the Ebola outbreaks. It's like, okay, this is a bioweapon for population control. It's to influence the population, blah, blah, blah. But uh, people, you know, dig this stuff. They buy into it. They, they, they eat it up, you know. Uh, so a video created by David Zublick, who has That's a history right. of propagating conspiracies uh, talking about this potential uh, cause of the outbreak has more than 12,000 views on, on YouTube, uh, which is, you know, far more than viral load listens at this point. You, <laughs> you guys should be ashamed of yourselves. <laughs> you just shame the people who actually listen? No, who, who don't <laughs> listen. So oh. you know who you are. Or, yeah, people yeah. who aren't listening to this, yeah. you better... Know your you better, place. Yeah, just start listening. Stop it. Yeah, stop yeah. not listening. So all the people who are listening, go shame your friends. Yeah, you're beautiful and we love you. So uh, several news websites, especially alternative news and health websites, are coming under cyber attack for reporting what is a huge story about the fact that the coronavirus that is sweeping China and which has now spread to other countries, including the United States of America, is actually a biological attack being perpetrated on the United States and other countries. Uh, that was a quote from David Zublick uh, in mm. his YouTube video. It'd be a real shame if nobody watched that video anymore. Mm -hmm. So, uh, 
Yeah. Uh, so that kind of sets us up, I think, to discuss uh, one of the two factors that I think is contributing to all this kind of hysteria. Again, one is that this is a new virus, and that's always kind of scary. There's an uncertainty there. And then two, that where this is coming from. So uh, China, you know, I think understanding a little bit about the kind of Chinese connection here is is worth talking about before we jump into the other arm of this, which is uh, the coronavirus itself, the new, uh, the novel coronavirus. Yeah, we're going to get to the coronavirus. But yeah, no, it's, it's a big thing. Um, the fact that this is coming from China, because A, we're all afraid of what we don't know. Um, their system of government is vastly different than anything that we're exposed to in the United States. But they also do have really well-documented history of suppression of the rights of their people. Uh, to put in perspective, in 2018, they started taking DNA and voice samples from citizens so that they could track them. Like straight up 1984, like think, yeah. speak, big brother stuff. Yeah, yeah. They recently expanded the internet censorship program to suppress politically sensitive information. <laughs> and they put this all under this big umbrella called vulgar, like vulgar language. Uh, like if it's something they didn't like, they just called it vulgar and would censor Yeah, it's it. like think speak. It's literally uh, like looking at Brett and yeah. being like, he looks like he believes in global warming. We yeah. need to put him in yeah. isolation to make sure uh, he doesn't talk to like, other people about it. Like uh, committing thought crimes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so like one extreme example of this is in January of 2018, Chinese authorities forcibly disappeared Swedish citizen and bookseller. I apologize if I don't say this right, but I think it's Gui Mihai. It's G-U-I-M-I-H-A-I. I think it's Gui Mihai or Guy Mihai. Um, but while they were traveling um, with Swedish diplomats, they basically took this person into custody and imprisoned them for two years. And they were abducted while traveling because they thought this individual was reporting out on state secrets and saying bad things about the Chinese government, which is pretty intense. Basically, like what you and I are doing right now, like the fact that earlier we were making jokes about like Trump being a dictator and all of that, like tomorrow they would come get us, um, which is a pretty weird and wild like life to live in. Um, and so even crazier, so in August, media reports revealed that Google, which suspended its search services in China in 2010, uh, were citing censorship concerns, had been developing a censored search engine app for the Chinese market, a.k.a. Google, one of the biggest corporations in the world, used for everything, connected to everything, is complying with China's wants to stop their citizens from being able to use the internet for what they want. Like, that's pretty crazy. It's literally yeah. like the Great Firewall is what they're calling it, uh, which oh, is pretty yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's punny. Yeah. So, like, that's yeah. like a glimpse into the world of, like, China's politics. And so, like, when people are worried that, like, that guy Rick Scott mm -hmm. saying he doesn't trust the communist China, 
regime. Yeah. yeah. He's not wrong. Right. It's just like it probably isn't the best way to go about saying yeah. things and doing things. But people who are worried about what China's doing, yeah. it's not unfounded. Yeah, because it's basically like people have this shady view of, of Chinese, China because of its censorship and, and things like that. And so like when a Chinese scientist who says, hey, like we sequenced the coronavirus and we're going to share this, like people are skeptical of that. Or like there's this shroud of secrecy or, or whatever, mystique, that those policies create. So when a, a weird virus comes out of there, they're like, well, what what's going on here? Right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so just like Bradley said, like right now you're probably thinking like, okay, what does this have to do with everything? But like, again, remember they have like a system where they only allowed one child for a long time. Mm -hmm. Like this, all the stuff that controls everything, but like, how does it actually tie to the coronavirus? Like yeah. how we're going to get there. Yeah. I promise. Yeah. We want to know like what is happening? Why are we worried? Yeah. So now Finally, yeah, Brett. Yeah, so listen. Yeah, so to start, like, kind of tying this all together, uh, the to kind of tackle the other arm of this, which is like, why are people so scared of this? Uh, one is it's coming from China. The other is like, it is a new what's called coronavirus. So uh, I want to do a deeper dive into the world of coronaviruses, and I said yes, virus is. Uh, because the Wuhan strain has relatives. The Wuhan strain ain't mm -hmm. nothing up. Yeah, I guess the Wuhan. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, cor <laughs> coronaviruses are uh, actually a large family of viruses, some causing illness in people and others that circulate among animals like camels, cats, and bats. Oh my. Sometimes <laughs> animal coronaviruses can evolve and infect people and then start spreading from person to person, which seems to be the case here. So the current Wuhan strain coronavirus is actually the seventh known coronavirus. You're saying there's seven members yeah. of the Wuhan clan? Your, yeah, your words. <laughs> seven coronaviruses. Lucky seven is the 2019 Wuhan coronavirus. Uh, this is a group of viruses. Uh, this clan also includes uh, SARS, Severe Acute mm. Respiratory Syndrome, and the lesser known, but um, equally as coronavirus-y, MERS, MERS, Middle East Respiratory Syndrome. So uh, you've probably heard of SARS. Maybe you've heard of MERS, but these are uh, along the same lines of what we're seeing now. Uh, they're all coronaviruses. Yeah, um, well, yeah. the only thing I can't help but notice, I'm a big animal person. Yeah. I don't eat animals. I love them. Yeah. But a lot of the worst stuff that happens in the history of the human race yeah. comes from animals. Yeah. What's going on? Well, I mean, think about all the messed up stuff we do to them. And they're, <laughs> they're like... us back? Yeah, we're like, oh, they're so powerless. And like, you know... Well, time to pay you up, like, sucker. <laughs> you like you think like the pandas and the polar bears yeah. and all the other stuff is like teaming up together with the bats and the bats are like, I got you, I got you. Yeah, I think that's the conspiracy theory we want to peddle on viral load is that this is an animal uh, kingdom conspiracy theory and 
like when the teddy bears come out to play, all the animals, uh, when we're not looking, are um, forming ways to, to get back at us for like industrial agriculture and Michael Vick and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, the Wuhan coronavirus, I digress, is uh, airborne. It spreads from person to person. And this is a, an epidemiology term that we have used before. Um, it's called the R-naught. R-naught. The basic reproduction number, meaning if I have Wuhan virus, coronavirus, and I'm sick, how many people will I spread it to on average? So right now that number sits at between like one and a half to two and a half. And just to give you some context, uh, seasonal flu, depending on the year, tends to be at around 1.3. Hepatitis C is around two. Ebola outbreaks tend to be around two. HIV is around four. And the most contagious virus that we know about, or one of them, is uh, measles, which has an R-naught of 18, meaning for every one person who has measles, they are on average going to give it to 18 more. And then each of those 18 will give it to 18 more and so on. So in terms of like contagiousness, uh, the Wuhan coronavirus, um, certainly not, uh, not the most contagious, but any number above one is a concern because that means that you have an outbreak potential uh, on your hands. So right now, on average, you're looking at like for every one person, about one or two people will will kind of catch it. Okay. So but when you're in a major city, yeah, does that like change? Yeah. Like, how you see that number? Because even if it's only like two people for every one, right. if you're in close proximity to a bunch of people, yeah, that might change things, right? Right. So like when you're talking about mega cities and you know uh, population density, which we often associate with places in China, then yeah, that that two and a half becomes like you know a pretty big deal because uh, then it's just like a numbers game. Yeah. So um, other than where it's going, which, you know, your guess is as good as mine. Uh, we can kind of try to predict where it's going based on, like, probability based on, uh, like, air travel and, and connectedness. So, like, places that have more coming and going from China will be at higher risk for the disease spreading than places that don't, right? Like, yeah. Uh, play, like the United States does a lot of business with China. So we would expect there to be cases showing up at our front door, but like, you know, Antarctica, maybe not so much. Um, so, you know, that's one way we can like predict where it's going. But other than that, like you can't really. Um, but Brett, so yeah. like we've talked about, and I, we talked about it in the mini-sode, like the virtual virus hunters. And we've talked about like the virus hunters. Are there epidemiologists whose job it would be then to like find out you know, who's trading with who, like who has the greatest impact and, you know, import, export, all of that to trace everything and like look at the risk, like kind of like what um, like an actuary would do yeah. and like look at the risk analysis. Yeah. And that's, okay. yeah. And that like comes back to like what we we're talking about, that study that like predicted, you know, 65 million. I mean, they're just like looking at different scenarios uh, and that's that was like one of the worst case scenarios. So, okay. um, 
you know, where it's going is anyone's guess. That's a big question. But the other big question is where did this thing come from? Uh, diseases like this don't just like magically like poof appear out of nowhere. Like, you know, diseases and stuff come from the lizard people in the government. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if our, if our kind of animal hypothesis is wrong, but the early cases appear to have all visited uh, a food market in uh, Wuhan, China. And the type of market uh, that they visited, uh, depending on where you are in the world, sometimes they're called wet markets. They are known for selling live animals for food and agriculture. So like we go to the market and I buy like like strips of bacon, they sell you the live pig. And yeah, I've, I've been yeah. to these kind of markets mm-hmm. and they're, yeah, I'd cook those things at like 500 degrees yeah. if I was cooking. Yeah. And, you know, so you have this, uh, these conditions where like you have a bunch of people all kind of crammed together in a market, plus a bunch of um, animals like pigs and bats and whatever, uh, you know, all crammed together. And, you know, where are these pigs and where are these animals like coming from? Probably the countryside. And they're being brought in by farmers to to sell at these population centers and markets. And if one of those animals is carrying a, a novel virus and you bring it into this kind of like pressure cooker and the virus starts evolving or mutating, that's how this kind of thing happens. So researchers who have been sequencing the coronavirus, uh, evidence is starting to suggest that the virus has come from a combination of bat populations, which isn't that surprising because bats, uh, a lot of viruses come from bats, uh, Ebola, um, and many others. And strangely, in this case, it looks like also maybe snake populations. Um, which There's is, a reason why people don't like bats and snakes. Yeah, yeah. As if, as if snakes like couldn't get like scarier. Like yeah. now apparently they um, are transmitting novel coronaviruses. Yep. So... Probably what happened is like a bat that was infected with some version of coronavirus and a snake uh, ended up coming into close proximity in these markets and the virus um, combined, which is uh, which happens with like influenza, like this is not a new phenomenon. It just takes the right mutation to make the right jump to become a human disease. And that's what happens. That's what happened in this case. Uh, This this kind of mutation event, uh, this virus combined, it mutated, it made the jump to people, probably from like, you know, bat poo or snake poo that kind of like maybe got aerosolized and got breathed in and boom, there you go. This is called a zoonotic spillover and that is what happened in this case. Yet again, Mm -hmm. zoo diseases will take us all down. Yep. So... Zoonotic diseases, meaning, you know, viruses and pathogens and stuff that come from animals. So uh, this this was also the case with the recent uh, MERS uh, and SARS coronavirus events. So MERS probably came from camels and SARS probably came from civet cats, which uh, we need to put a picture of this up somewhere maybe. But if you don't know, Google it. Um, civet cats kind of look like a cat and a raccoon and, um, like a a cat. 
Yeah. Like everything's stuck to one. It looks like somebody tried to like uh, Photoshop a bunch of animals together. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. It exists. Yeah. It's like uh, pin the tail on a donkey with a bunch of different animal parts and they just like yeah, put weird. them together. Yeah. They're kind of interesting looking. Uh, they don't look yeah. friendly, but they kind of look soft. Uh, I want to yeah, pet one. They kind of look similar to like a, like a Tasmanian devil. Yeah. Where they're kind of just an odd looking like weasel slash cat. Yeah. Very strange. Interesting spots slash stripes slash teeth slash beady eyes. I can't tell if I'm scared or in love. Um, <laughs> Cats are evil. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, not to di- divert too much from uh, the focus here, but just a, a fun kind of few quick facts about civet cats. Civet is the common name for various small cat-like mammals. Natives to sub-Saharan Africa, Madagascar, southwest corner of Europe, southern China, south and southeast Asia. These animals are best known... Uh, the best known civet species is the African civet. Civet, Civetictus civita. Oh, right? that's pretty good. All right. <laughs> Give myself a B on that one. Which historically <laughs> has been the main species from which uh, the musky scent has been used in, in the perfume industry. So the African civet has been used to like, you know, for like Chanel perfume and stuff. This is why they're coming back after us. Mm-hmm. It's all tracks. Yeah. Our conspiracy is the only one that actually tracks. So far, it all holds up to scrutiny. Yeah, we did them dirty, and now they're getting back at us. Um, and interestingly enough, the world's most expensive coffee uses coffee cherries that have been partially digested by the Asian palm civet, then harvested from its fecal matter. The civets digest the flesh of coffee cherries and then pass the pits uh, or the kind of coffee beans uh, inside where stomach enzymes have this kind of chemical impact on the beans, which apparently like makes the coffee's aroma and flavor like super, super good. And this process means that the coffee is one, delicious, two, like kind of awesomely gross, and three, super expensive. So about a pound of it can cost $600, and in some parts of the world, a cup of this coffee can go for $100. Yeah, this was made famous by the movie The Bucket List, mm-hmm. because uh, Jack Nicholson's character drank Kopi Luwak and had no idea what it was from. Mm-hmm. And Morgan Freeman had to explain to him that it comes from cat poop. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there you go. It's all coming full circle. Um, the, the civets give us good, expensive coffee. Uh, they also give us SARS. SARS is a coronavirus, just like the new Wuhan coronavirus is. Um, it's all coming together. So... So speaking of SARS, um, a lot of what I'm seeing in the the news and kind of the public hysteria and and all this reminds me a lot of the SARS um, pandemic that happened back in the early uh, 2000s. So um, SARS was a thing. Uh, We all survived it, but it scared the the crap out of people. Uh, It scared the civic crap out of people. Um, There we go. See, I brought it back. (laughs) Um, but what did you, um, what did you find out or what do you know about, uh, SARS? Yeah, I went down the rabbit hole on this one. Yeah. So again, SARS, severe acute respiratory syndrome. Mm -hmm. So back in November, 2002, 
a form of atypical pneumonia called severe acute respiratory syndrome began spreading rapidly around the world and prompting the World Health Organization to declare the ailment a worldwide health threat, which is what we were talking about previously. At the epicenter of the outbreak was China, where the outbreak of SARS infected more than 5,300 people and killed 349 people nationwide. Um, And so, like, again, like, why are we telling you random facts about China? What's going on? Like, is it because I'm just like a big Bruce Lee fan? Uh, or like, why am I giving you a hodgepodge of everything? Like a weird memento situation here. Uh, it'll all come together. I promise. So with SARS, uh, by mid November, 2002, this unknown disease was spreading. Uh, and by mid 2003, it was largely contained. But what we need to know is what happened in between. So here are some issues. Due to their system of government being um, a communist system, there's a hierarchy. And so information cannot be passed from one person to the other. You can't just be like, hey, Brett, you're a scientist. Take care of this. Instead, it has to go through the bureaucracy, and it delays the process. So Mm -hmm. by January 27th, a report was sent up the chain, but was only stalled because higher-ranking officials were on leave for Chinese New Year. I told you we'd bring it back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was against the law to move forward with the treatment or containment of the disease without prior authorization from those higher-ups. And they didn't want to bother them during Chinese New Year. Mm-hmm. So, so due to this blackout of news, this continued until February, essentially three months where this deadly disease had gone completely unchecked, or at least partially unchecked. Uh, and by February 8th, people began to pop up in private messages about a deadly flu and anthrax, uh, a possible anthrax, like they were worried about anthrax. Remember, all messaging systems and all data systems in China are subject to the government inquiry, so they can look into anything that's going on. So basically, like, again, 1984, where, like, if I text you right now, Brett, and I say, like, man, Brett, like, Trump sucks, Mm -hmm. somebody, as soon as it says Trump, will ping like to whatever government office where they're sitting in like a bunker and they're like, go get Andy and Brett. And so they started seeing this and they're like, oh crap, like everybody's going to find out about this. Like, you know, we need to get on top of this. Like you think about it, like this is the type of thing of government oversight and like the Illuminati stuff that like Alex Jones is like, ah, the government and the toads and the, gay frogs and all that, like all this crazy stuff. But if you look into this, like this is legitimately what's happening over there Mm -hmm. and they don't want anybody to know anything. So they just kind of suppressed everything until they absolutely had to address it. And another problem with this is that there was a law in the books from September, 1989. Uh, It was called the law on prevention and treatment of infectious disease. And it contained a number of significant loopholes. So the first loophole was provincial governments are obligated or obliged, sorry, to publicize epidemics in a timely and accurate manner only after being authorized by the Ministry of Health. Hmm. So until they're authorized again, like if it doesn't go all the way up the chain of command, they don't have to say anything. And so second, atypical pneumonia was not listed 
in the law as an infectious disease under surveillance, and thus the local government officials legally were not accountable for reporting the disease. So you can see how that would get out of hand pretty quick, right? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 And so, like, in fact, the Chinese Center for Disease Control and Prevention did not issue a nationwide bulletin to hospitals on how to prevent the ailment until April 3rd. Pretty crazy. So we're looking yeah. at almost like five months of a disease just running rampant. Yeah. And I don't know about you, Brett, but like that's pretty terrifying. And yeah. what happened was this ended up being like a global like pandemic, right? Would you call it a pandemic at that point? Because it's gone to several different yeah. countries, right, Brett? Yeah, where it, where it spreads to multiple countries, yeah. Yeah, so there were 8,098 cases eventually, leading to 774 confirmed deaths in 17 countries. Mm -hmm. So with that said, mm -hmm. and all that happening with SARS, seeing another coronavirus coming up in China, yeah. everyone's freaking out yeah. because they don't trust that China's gonna do the right thing again. Yeah. Um, so when crazy Rick Scott or whatever is saying like, communist China, blah, hate yeah. them, they're different. And like, yeah. Trump's like, they're gonna hurt us, like all the stuff. They're not 100% wrong, yeah. but they're not using, like, factual information that they yeah. know. They're just being, you know, I don't want to say, like, bigoted, but they're just saying, like, the things that are very obvious things. Yeah. This is what our actual health officials and people like yourself, Brett, would yeah. be afraid of because this has already happened with SARS. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they kind of – they muffed it or they they you know made things worse than it needed to be um but like the u.s is you know we had uh flint michigan and water and like you know we're no angel either it's just uh you know probably good examples of that anywhere but uh because yeah it's it's the same group of viruses it's uh you know, the same family of viruses, it's coming out of the same area. There's so many parallels. It's like, yeah, your go-to is just to automatically suspect that China is, you know, acting the same way again. Well, and the crazy thing too is in looking through it, once they actually started to address the disease, they contained it pretty well. Yeah. Like because of their system of government, it's kind of a juxtaposition. Because of their system of government, it went rampant. However, because of their system of government and how they surveillance people and how they like control their people, they were able to stop it in its tracks once they actually identified it. Yeah. So it's not that they don't have the capacity or the scientists or anything to actually like take care of the disease. It's just that we're so worried that they're going to be worried about like their social economic status versus actually taking care of people because they're very calculated in how they deal with things. Yeah. Um, so taking that all into account, Brett, yeah. uh, let's go into our my favorite portion <laughs> that I like to call, what would Brett do? <laughs> so things aren't great. It's still in its infancy. So like it's just hitting the streets. It's yeah. one of our favorite things. It's a new kid on the block. Yeah. And so what would you do? Like, like what would you do? And like, what are you going to predict? Like that predictive model that said 65 million yeah. people would die. It would be a huge thing. Like, what do you actually think, you know, if you had a crystal ball, yeah. like what do you think is going to happen? And what would you do in order to kind of slow that? Yeah. Or, you know, try to do the right things. Yeah. Like in a perfect world, what would you do? Yeah. So 
the first thing I, I do with this and what I tell people is like um, to put it in context. And one of the main measures that is, you know, getting people worried and people are obsessed with is the case fatality rates. So just, you know, to compare the Wuhan strain, the case fatality rate is around 4%. So, you know, of those infected, 4% uh, die. Uh, comparing that to some other diseases that um, we know about, uh, SARS, for example, we were just talking about, uh, that sat at around 10%. So about you know double what we're seeing now with this coronavirus. Again, that could change depending on how the, the virus mutates or whatever, but uh, right now it's about four. Transmissible spongiform encephalopathies, aka colloquial known as like mad cow disease, uh, that's a hundred percent. Uh, yeah, we should come back from that. Mm -hmm. uh, rabies, untreated rabies, is about the same. It's about ninety nine percent, which is which is scary because like you know, rabies. Speaking of bats and whatever, uh, Ebola can be up to eighty to ninety percent. H five N one, bird flu, which is still my my dark horse pick for for this year, is about sixty percent. MERS, the other coronavirus we talked about, is 45%. Uh, and, and even like overall, like the mortality rate for cancers combined is 30%. And then that that bulging can of beans that you thought maybe was old or you shouldn't eat that has botulism, that has a 10% uh, mortality rate. So in context, uh, that's kind of where we stand with Wuhan in terms of how severe it is. So I think people lose sight of the fact that it's new and this like scary new disease. Uh, putting it in context, I think is what I would do first to like uh, reduce hysteria and like, you know, this. So here's like a cool phrase I like to use, the pandemic of fear um, that that comes with something like this, because it's it's that like hysteria that is causing stock markets to like, you know, fluctuate and people to, uh, you know, get all scared unnecessarily, perhaps. Again, yeah. you know, seasonal flu, which is like something nobody really cares about. It happens every single year, like clockwork. We know it's going to happen. It's always with us. That kills between ten to 50,000 people in the United States alone each year. And no one really freaks out about that. And we even have a pretty effective like vaccine program going on. And people still get all stubborn and weird about getting the, the flu vaccine. Again, that that's another way to kind of contextualize this. Yeah, I feel like this should be much more helpful than somebody going on the news and doing like this like fantastic expose on like how we're all going to die. Yeah, I feel like a clear-headed epidemiologist being on CNN, being on yeah. Fox News, going on Al Jazeera, whatever, yeah. and actually just like showing these stats yeah. and being like, hey – be smart. Don't touch animals. Like right. do this, do that. Yeah. This is what the flu does. Like these are actual problems yeah. and be safe. Yeah. That's, that's not as sexy and that's not going to get the clicks and that's not going to get the like the ratings. Right. But flashing up mortality numbers and stuff is what sells, you know? Um, so what I stock up on face masks, there's a run on face masks in China with the belief that wearing one in public will protect uh, someone from, exposure to droplets that are sneezed or coughed by someone infected with the virus. These kind of flimsy masks that people often buy in like pharmacies, um, 
probably don't really fit tightly against the face. So the person wearing it can still breathe in air and uh, any infected droplets. So these, these face masks don't actually really prevent the virus from like going into your respiratory tract. But what they can do is that a lot of the way this kind of thing is spread is by like uh, touching a contaminated surface with your hand and then touching your face and like rubbing your nose or rubbing your eyes. So a face mask could actually like be a physical barrier to stop people from like touching their face, which is a common way that the virus could enter the body. So the mask could be like protective in that way. Um, but you know, it's not that good. So the best way to kind of protect yourself there is one, not touch your face and like wash your hands and all that kind of like common sense flu season type stuff. But if you're going to be around people infected, wear an N95 respirator, which fits snugly against the face and can filter out the virus. Brett, have you ever been um, fitted for one of those? Like an N95? Test? Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're yeah, real cool looking. Yeah, it's pretty cool. They do like the spray thing and they're like, mm -hmm. can you taste this? Yeah. And like they spray it for a bunch of times. And if they're like, okay, this is your size. This is for you. Yeah. So, but, you know, that's more cumbersome and like, you know, costly. And it's not, it's not those like little flimsy masks that are being handed out in masks right yeah, now. Yeah, they come 200 a box. Right. So those probably aren't doing much, but, um, and we talked a little bit about before this, like, they could actually be maybe hurting you because you said they get like maybe saturated with your like uh, breath or, or whatever. Yeah. They're only good. Like even the ones. So like if you have a family member and this is just like a public service announcement, yeah. but if you have a family member who has cancer and they have, or they're sick, <laughs> they're um, weakened from like recent uh, cancer um, treatments. Yeah. Those are only good for 45 minutes on average, because they become saturated from your breathing and everything. So they actually become reservoir for disease and everything because they're saturated. Yeah. So like after 45 minutes, if you're going to wear them all the time, get rid of it and put a new one on. They're super cheap. So like if you bought a box of them, like, I'm sorry, like you're going to go through a ton of them. But if you want them to be effective, change them out every 45 minutes. Yeah. So I think probably the best way to prevent or to protect yourself is like just basic like hand hygiene, uh, which sounds like just hearing it out loud makes you sound like like super boring and lame. But just wash your hands. Uh, social wash distancing. Hands. So this is a, a contagious airborne disease. So like if you're gonna be around a lot of people, um, especially near the epicenter, you just kind of you know maybe stay home if you're not feeling well, that kind of stuff. Um, if you're gonna be in a hot zone. The N95 respirator mask. So it's like basically, how would you avoid the flu or a cold? That's kind of what we're talking about here. What the the biggest thing? What would I do is um, ultimately we're going to keep putting out these like fires, which are these like new emerging disease events. What I would do is try to like address the cause of it and get at the root source. And one of them is these live animal uh, wet markets. And I think. Um, you know, this is not the first time this has happened and it won't be the last. So if we want to like not, if we, if we ever get tired of dealing with these, with these spillover events, one thing to do is to like address it at the source. And, uh, I've been seeing kind of this growing call to ban, uh, live markets, uh, wet markets, 
on you know different kind of conservation groups and stuff uh that then gets into the whole sticky situation of like you know cultural tradition and like mm-hmm. it's you know yeah, us versus, it's like you know do as i you know it's it's an outside entity telling you kind of how to change your habits and beliefs and, and whatnot. But like uh, from a purely kind of disease prevention and scientific standpoint, that's, that would be, you know, one effective means that it kind of controlling this kind of, of uh, event uh, because yeah. this is like, that is a risk factor and wh- a reason why this, this stuff happens. So that's just sort of the reality of it. Um, but again, that, that becomes hard when you're kind of going in and, you know, telling people to change their traditions. Um, yeah. And on top of that, like you're risking your effectiveness Yeah. because if you go in and you're like, I'm Brett Bales, yeah. you need to stop doing what you're doing. Yeah. And they're like, this guy is trying to change our yeah. like hundreds of years of tradition and then you're like, oh, by the way, I also have to give you a shot. Yeah. I have to keep you away from your family. Yeah. And you're completely cut off from them immediately because you started by already insulting them. Yeah. So, so. I don't know what the perfect solution is there, um, but I think getting as upstream as you can and, and knowing that that's where these spillover events happen and coming up with a good way to address it at its kind of – uh, earlier source because uh, otherwise it's like you know running around and putting out little spot fires without addressing the main source of the fire um, seems a little silly to me but you know mm-hmm. that's that's kind of what I'm thinking and in terms of where this thing is going to go like um, I think the smartest answer I can give is that I don't know uh, because I think it would be a little um, foolish to like try to predict like well, I think this is going to go to like, you know, 15 countries and it's going to kill this many people. Like uh, this could become a a relative non-issue or this could become something, something big. Uh, If we go by how the other coronaviruses have, have acted um, and look at SARS and MERS as recent examples, I think probably that's the best educated guess in terms of like, what impact it's going to have. But again, like, you know, this is a new kid on the block and it's, you know, it could mutate. It could change. Some, something could happen. But if I was a betting man, I would say, look towards the other uh, coronaviruses and that will give you some sense of the magnitude of this thing. And those, you know, did kill people and they were, uh, you know, big infectious disease events relative, but, you know, they weren't earth shattering, world ending, um, martial law inducing, uh, calamities. Uh, they were just another in a long history of, uh, pandemics to hit the world. Uh, the coronavirus is not the first, it won't be the last, Uh, We'll see what disease we're talking about like in a year from now. But um, yeah, that's sort of what I would do. Um, And uh, one thing that I I guess I can leave us with is uh, those who listen to Viral Particle podcast, um, 
you know, there is a certain wokeness there that I think can't hurt you. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you'll be ahead of the game. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, I don't know this for sure. We need to do our research, but, um, have any viral load listeners contracted the coronavirus? I would put a heavy bet on no. Okay. I think so. Do we have the cure? Is it in our, our supple, smooth voices coming into your ear holes? Um, (laughs) (laughs) that was the most uncomfortable sentence coming. Cause if you just said Mm -hmm. like soft whispers in your ears, yeah. But the term ear hole yeah. changed everything for me. Yeah. I was like, oh, Brett, Brett's being sweet. This is yeah. great. And then you're like, in your ear holes. Yep. I was like, ooh. Um, hmm. So on that note, <laughs> that's, uh, that's, you know, that's coronavirus. That's all we know about it so far. That's some of the uh, biology, the science, some of the social impact that it's had so far. And uh, it'd be interesting to see what happens. And if, if things take a turn or, or, you know, the story changes, we might do a follow-up. Or maybe we'll uh, cover this in some future particles if, you know, things kind of go as I think they're going to go, which is along the lines of uh, SARS or MERS. Um, maybe we'll come back and check in. But, um, yeah, that's, that's the 2019 Wuhan coronavirus. So how worried should you be? Most of the world is suffering from an outbreak of coronavirus anxiety, a pandemic of fear. How scared are you? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm a little afraid. And again, it's kind of due to the fact that like, it takes a lot to shake a communist leader. And so the Chinese leader, Z, who is a lot like their Putin, he's just like, I'm the dude, he rides horses, shirtless, all that fun stuff. He said it's a grave situation, which means he's worried Mm. that it's going to be worse than SARS. So that's a little scary for me. Thank you guys all for hanging out with us today. Uh, That was the Wuhan coronavirus. And if you like what you heard today, and you've been checking us out and supporting us. We really appreciate it. Make sure whatever platform you're using, go on Apple Podcasts. Give us five-star rating. Really helps us move up the charts. If you're on Spotify, give us a like, a subscribe. It helps us move up those charts and helps more people be able to see us. We're working real hard to get you guys at least an episode every week. Um, so we're doing our part. So if you really like it, and you want us to hang around, do us all the time, uh, just uh, subscribe to our Twitter, our Instagram, or both Viral Load Podcast. Mm-hmm. And if you have questions, concerns, comments, you want to get reach out to us, you can DM us on any of the social medias, or you can email us at viralloadpod at gmail.com. So thanks a lot for hanging around. I've been Andy Pupa. I'm Brett Bales. Bye. Wash your hands.